Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. I'm Chris Maynard, your host. Today we have a special episode featuring Greg Liana, the creator of Meet the Parents. In this episode, Greg talks about his latest project, The Road Dog, a film that provides an honest depiction of the challenges that stand-up comedians face. With a cast of professional comedians, the movie follows the life of an alcoholic stand-up as he reconnects with his estranged son. Doug Stanhope delivers an outstanding performance in the lead role, showcasing his talent and versatility as an actor. But before we dive into our conversation with Greg, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is an independent bookstore that believes in the magic of storytelling and the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your collection of films, music, or books, visit your nearest Bookman's and discover something truly wonderful. If you haven't already, please follow the following films podcast on Spotify to show your support. This will help us continue to bring you in-depth conversations with the talented individuals who shape the world of cinema. The Road Dog is currently available on VOD. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Yeah, that's better. Okay. There you go. Perfect. Well, thank you again Uh, for taking the time to do this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So the, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the idea of doing a film about stand-up comedy and your experience with stand-up comedy. Cause this feels utterly real and lived in. I don't know anything about stand-up comedy, but this feels like what that world would be. It feels honest from the outside. Yeah, we really tried to, uh, my co-writer, Tony Boswell and I really tried to uh, present it as it was, as we remember it, you know, there's not a lot of great stand-up comedy movies. Uh, you know, I, I always tell this story. I remember when Punchline came out, I was working with Jeff, Jeff Garland. Yeah. And he saw it. And I said, I said, how is it? And he said, the comedians have lockers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all he had to say. Was he was saying it was, you know, not not real. You know, Doug, Stan- <laughs> Doug, Doug Stanhope told me that he, yeah, he, he initially was was going to turn it down. You know, he didn't want to come to Chicago in the winter and film this. And Fair but enough. he said he read it and he, he thought we really captured, you know, like not too many uh, movies have done really captured that that world. It seems like such a no brainer too the doing a film about stand up because so many actors, so many comedians transition into the world of acting, and they you know, at least try on that hat for a little while and. I, I'm just shocked there hasn't been more of it. Seems like it would be something you get once a year. Maybe it's too depressing. The <laughs> the, the, re, the reality, be, you know. Fair enough. And then what? Let I mean. So I live in Arizona. I live in Tucson, and uh, Doug is a local legend out here. Um, you know, we're not that far well, away from Bisbee, so he's kind of the hometown hero. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody here. Had, would have that vote of confidence in him. What led you to cast him in this? I mean, obviously his experience, but I mean, he's the emotional core of this. If that casting doesn't work, your film doesn't work, man. You know, it's because he did this uh, episode of Louis, mm, yeah, Louis CK's show, and he was so great in that. You know, I, that always kind of stuck in our heads when we were writing it. Like, uh, you know, he's just the the perfect actor for that role. I can't even imagine anybody who could do it as well as him you know well i mean and this isn't just him pulling off the stage stuff because most of this film i mean that there's pieces of that of course but really Mm -hmm. most of this is not 
comedy in that sense, where the comedy is not coming from bits. It's, you know, coming from moments that are, it's a very human story. I did not want to make a stand-up comedy movie. I didn't, that's why some people have asked me, why didn't I include more stand-up? I, you know, I wanted to be for stand-up as Rocky was about boxing, you know what I mean? Just like a, a background, but it's still a human story. So, I mean, you could really inject almost any profession into this story and it would still work if you had somebody that was a traveling salesman or something along those lines, something right. that keeps where you're isolated and out on the road and going from town to town. And I think the sort of core thing about this, while it is very authentic and real too, and it's unique to stand up, there is something that is universal about this. And the, the I think the themes that you're dealing with here are not really directly tied to stand up. Yeah, I hope so. That was and, the intention. Well, and that's the uh, the father and son stuff here. Obviously, you have the two generations of that, which is really the core of the story because, you know, Doug has to pull off some pretty heavy lifting. You look at the scene in the hospital or any of the interactions with his son, and it's just – I was I was just floored to get this emotional watching some of his stuff. And um, did you have to work with him on those particular moments, or did he come with ideas on how to uh, handle those heavier scenes? You know, I wish I could take credit for his great performance, but we, you know, we spoke when he accepted the role, we talked on the phone for a a while, just about the character and about, and then we had a zoom rehearsal and he was brilliant. Hmm. And so I, I didn't have to say anything more about it. I think there was one thing that he needed help with one, one line, but I mean, he, uh, he just was great. He, he does his homework and he's a natural, you know, he just doesn't overact. He's just real. Do you find that comedians have a natural ability from what they've been doing to work um, in film? Because it's a it's, it's a much different skill set because you have to do some more quiet internal stuff. You're not doing the "Hey, look at me" thing. Yeah, it's it's mixed. I've uh, I directed uh, Judy Tenuta in a movie, and she was a very broad, yeah, you know, stand up, and she had a she had a, a tough time calming down for film. I could see that she's a bigger than life character for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but some actors are just, are some comedians are great actors and some aren't, I guess. <laughs> and, but you, uh, you, you cast, uh, quite a few here in this, in this film though, where you have, uh, several comedians that are coming into the movie. Um, so it's not just Doug. So you're, you're really having faith in these other comedians as well. Well, really all of them I've worked with before. Oh, Okay. I mean, John DeCoste was in the original Meet the Parents. Uh, Vince Moranto was, and you know, I've, I've, I've so those are guys I've worked with. So I, I, I thought they were okay. Well, then, uh, like a guy like Greg Fitzsimmons, that was a uh, you had you worked with him before, or was that something new? No, that was that was just luck that we got him because <laughs> that role uh, it was originally it was supposed to be Michael Bean. Oh, from okay. Terminator. That's right. Yeah. He, he does he live neighbor. out here too or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, you know, we had a lot of phone conversations with him and, oh, he couldn't wait to do this part. And then all of a sudden he just wasn't doing it. I think we made an official offer and he saw how much <laughs> his, the SAG uh, low budget minimum. So we, we had like a week to go when we cast Bobcat Goldthwait was going to do it. Love and him. then two day two days before he got COVID. Oh. So we were just scrambling, and then somebody suggested uh Greg Fitzsimmons, and he turned out to be really, really good. 
he, he's great in but, it. Yeah. It's just luck, just pure luck. Cause he, he has one of those roles where it's just, it could be a one note kind of caricature and he actually somehow pulls off this warmth and you actually like the guy. Cause you see the stage persona that he's doing and it's something that's not really anything that you'd yeah, want to hang out with, but he's great. He's uh that's my favorite character in the script is Mikey. <laughs> and, and, and I thought he did a great, he just, just the way he is just lends itself to that role. I mean, he's not a hack comic, but no, no, uh, no, he's a great comic, but he yeah. Yeah, he was. We uh, we just got lucky with that because he literally had about two days before we filmed. He got the role and he flew out and and just did it. He was he was really good. Is he one of those guys you think you'll work with again in the future? Or is that- uh, uh, oh yeah, I would love to work with him again. Yeah, and he was so funny off stage too. We had a really good time filming that. Nice scenes. So you're you're making a low budget film about comedy, and you're the one that's doing this. You decide to set it in Chicago in the winter. Is that a act of, you know, self-flagellation or. (laughs) Yeah. I said the sequel is going to be Jimmy. uh, David, the son is going to track Jimmy down in the Bahamas. Uh, (laughs) But for some reason, and and Tony uh, agreed with me, all my memories, when I think back of of my stand-up years, it was always in the winter. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't remember as much driving in the summer, you know, beautiful sunny days. I just sure. picture like bare trees and white roads and you know, so uh I think I think it lends itself to the story more than than beautiful sunny days would have been. So when you were doing stand up, where were you were a road comic or Yeah, well, I did usually I did one or two weeks on the road every month. But okay. It was mainly I, I was based out of Chicago, so I worked Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, the places you could get to in a day or yeah. two driving. That kind of exactly. Okay, and then is there something that there's oftentimes that people romanticize the darkest days of their lives, <clears> the <throat> hardest points where they go back and they say, "There's that thing. There was something pure, honest, and just about that time in our lives." Remember when we were broke in that apartment, kind of thing. Is that something that you have those feelings for that time? Or is that just gladly in the rear view mirror now? Gladly in the rear view mirror. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's funny. I never set out to be a standup. Okay. I was going to, I was going to film school in Chicago and I had a friend who want, who was like, Oh, this is open mic. You know, I'd like to do comedy. So I went with him and just watched him. And then I ended up going back there and I just got hired. And I, I really caught this comedy boom. Uh, that we, you know, it's talked about in the movie, but there was a period in the uh, mid eighties. It just clubs were opening up everywhere. And all of a sudden I was just getting offers for work and I was working full time. So I kind of fell into it and I never really liked doing it. I always thought of myself as an actor who was playing a stand-up comedian. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section as I often do. And I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see, something I've been meaning to see and there's a blind spot. And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful 
cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novel's what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil. That's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than. It feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it. Highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. And I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. But I like the lifestyle. You know, I like the traveling and the motels and having your days free. And, uh, so I, I have a lot of good memories with that. But I, I never really, uh, I never really liked doing stand-up. I kind of just fell into it. I think most of us feel that way about our careers to some degree, where we're just actors playing a role. I think very yeah. few people <laughs> that they end up in a career where it's like, okay, this is who I am in this role right now. I'm right, embodied right. here. Uh, but some some comedians are just funny. I'm a writer. Yeah. Like I could, I could write funny material so I could, I would do that, but I'm not naturally like a life of the party kind of, some people, some comics are, you know, do and I'm sorry to kind of drill down on this at all, uh, but do you remember any of the first jokes you wrote still? Is there anything that. Well, my signature bit when I started was I would do a five minute, it was a, every episode of the TV show Kung Fu. The David Carradine thing. Yeah. I would, that okay. was my big thing. I would do the whole, uh, like in every episode, this happened and this happened, but that for a long time, that was my, my signature bit. But then I, I realized that audiences didn't remember the show sometime in the <laughs> they aged out. Yeah. 80s, 90s, the young audiences didn't know that show at all. I had to drop it. Well, it's one of those things, I guess, if you hang on to it long enough, things tend to come back around. So it could be a uh, relevant again at some point, if people pick up well, yeah, again, I, I have I, no idea. I guess if I play a nursing home, I could, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that would go over. So is that something that you had experience with? Cause you have a couple of, uh, you, you have a hell gig in here for sure. Um, Oh, I've, I've done so many a, hell gigs. Did like a, fu- a funeral? I mean, that's, that's pretty rough in the, in the film. So. Well, it's not a funeral. It's a Our, church service, yeah. but they're, but they're, uh, they're taking a moment of silence for this right. tragedy exactly. that yes, happens. Yes, yes. And now a comedian. That's something I, I, I never experienced that, but my writing partner, Tony, swears to me that this is a thing in the South. They'll get comedians to do a little, you know, 15 minutes in a church. So it it, it does happen. I I couldn't even imagine. Did you were you a clean comic or was that something that uh I was I was mainly clean. I had okay. a few words. I remember I opened up for Bobby Vinton. This oh, well, singer yeah. from the 60s and he I had a very el- elderly audience and i remember just like going through my you know every bit i've ever tried like what's clean what's family uh can't do this bit can't do this bit. so then but yeah I, w- I was mainly clean there so then how did you transition i guess the comedy boom dies down and is that when you kind of uh, settle into writing at that point or how did you make that move well i always you know, I was going to film school. I always wanted to mm. make films. And while I was doing stand-up, I would do these little short films with my own money, you know. And there was a show on uh, in Chicago called Image Union, and they would show short films. So I got a couple of my films on this Image Union. And I had done a film, a five-minute short film about a guy who goes to meet his girlfriend's parents and he breaks <laughs> their, their prize vase. It was called The yeah. Vase. And I, I became friendly with Emo Phillips, the comedian. I, I opened up for him a bunch of times. And it turns out he had seen this short on Image Union. And I told him I had a uh, an idea for turning it into a feature film. You know, I was kind of inspired by the Peter Sellers movie, The Party. Sure. Because yeah. that, whole, that, whole, that whole movie, he's just going to a party. And that, that's the entire plot. Yep. So I thought, why couldn't I do a film? I was just going to meet the parents. And that's the whole movie is spending this weekend with the parents, you know. So I told him that, and he said uh, that sounded like funny, a funny idea. And if I wrote it, I, you know, if he liked it, he would consider putting money into it. So I wrote that script with a, a girl named Mary Ruth Clark because I'd never written anything like that, you know. And she had written plays, and you know, and he he liked it, and he ended up funding it, and we did it, and it, you know, had some local success. And Steven Soderbergh ended up seeing it, and he brought it into Universal. Because he said this should be remade. It should be a you know this could be related, rate up relatable to everyone on the planet. You know, he was right. Well, <laughs> clearly, and, he, I don't think you knew you had a franchise on your hands with that yeah, idea. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's I kind of fell into uh, that was when I start. You know, once I started getting money for scripts, I stopped uh, doing stand up. And is that something that you? ever get the itch for or you're just in your lane now making movies that's it you know about 10 years ago i went on a tour with emo just about four i think it was five cities just opening for him just i just kind of wanted to see if i could still do it and it was pretty much exactly the same as i remember it in good clubs i did great sure in the really not so good clubs i had trouble fair enough how does emo do because he's he has such a unique comedy voice that I, I I adore him, but he's one of those guys that I can imagine oh, in the wrong audience that it just might completely you know not go well. 
he did great everywhere I've ever seen him. He, okay. You know, even in the club, you know, some of the clubs that I had trouble with, he, he killed, he's, he's such a, he has such great material. Yeah. And he's such a pro. I can't imagine him not going over anywhere. I just saw him recently. He, he went on a tour with weird Al Yankovic for a couple of years. I think and they went, uh, you know, Europe and wow. But, but I saw him in LA and he was funnier than ever. He was, he's just a great, He's such a great writer is what it is. He has the best material of anyone. That's right. I forgot. They, he did that little bit in UHF with weird Al. They've yeah, been working yeah, together forever. Yeah. So, okay. That yeah. makes sense. Very cool. Um, so then with the release of the film, when something like this happens, when the road road dog is out there now, um, how does that feel? Is that something that you have a sense of kind of putting it out in the world? Do you have closure with that and you're on to the next one? Or is it something that it's, just waiting for the reaction to come in and kind of see what it, where it is in the uh, public's eye. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We're just trying to get people to know about it who, you know, we don't have a big budget for advertising. You know, I think a lot of people would like it, but they don't know about it. So far we've just gotten Doug's fans who are aware of it. And I'd like to try and branch out to uh, other people who maybe don't know who he is, just might like the movie. Well, I think this is a movie that would go beyond just, stand-up fans beyond just doug stanhope fans this is something that really if you I, I think it's a funny movie but this really just is a character piece about a father and son and about that relationship and those dynamics and about how you know one generation can screw up the next and following in your father's right. footsteps and those things and i think that it's absolutely a relatable film and yeah i, I think that it should find a wider audience. Have you found people getting into it beyond that because i would be shocked if this doesn't find a home beyond Doug's fans. Oh, we, we've gotten some response from people who who say they didn't know anything about it going into it. They didn't know who Doug was and they liked it. Yeah. So it's just, uh, you know, studios spend more money on advertising than they do on the films. It's so weird. You know, I wish we could uh, have billboards and be on buses and stuff, but we, uh, so it has to be kind of word of mouth and shows like this, you know, get people interested. It's, um, it's very strange when you start hearing that the um, a $20 million movie, well, they'll spend $40 million advertising it to let people know that it exists, that it's still yeah. in this day and age, that it's that's what it takes to get some of those things out there. It's just, I, I can't get my head around that. It seems like there should be, with media being what it is now, an easier and more affordable way of doing those well, things. We're, we're doing things like, uh, you know, I wrote a song for the closing credits. That'll do it. And it plays over the, so we it is officially entered into the academy awards so i i called the the song remember me theme from the road dog <laughs> so if by some miracle it gets nominated oh the road dog okay it's yeah we, we do things like that for advertising so how does a submission go for something like that it just is it the academy you had to play new york la or and then you can submit anything yeah we, we we did a limited theatrical so we okay we, we are eligible although i don't think they're gonna they would put our little <laughs> against barbie you know uh, <laughs> but just in case i called it theme from the road dog so uh that's what i'm trying to do to get publicity well i mean i definitely recommend people checking out the film because i've had a great i had a great time watching it i think that people would definitely enjoy this um and it's pretty much anywhere you do vod at this point correct at this at this point yeah it's uh amazon apple little itunes you know 
wherever you rent a movie, you should be able to find it probably more. more it's there. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to do this again, man. I really appreciate it. And I, yeah, I, thank you. I, I hope that uh, there's another one coming down the pike because I'm definitely a fan. I, uh, I, I want, Me I want too. more. I'm a greedy American consumer. So <laughs> I want more of your stuff. Even while you're trying to push this one out, I'm ready for the next one. Me too. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much, Greg. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.